Good morning, church. Aren't you grateful for a pastor who leads us to sing who isn't tired of the gospel? Amen. Thanks, Graham. Um, but I do take offense to the fact that you said that my pitch dropped. I don't think my pitch dropped. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, church, let me pray. Father, we gather this morning thankful for the opportunity to remember again who you are, and to be reminded of the truth that we have come to believe because you have revealed yourself in the Word. And it's this Word that we treasure and um, that we long to uh, continue to look in all the days of our lives. And we're thankful for this opportunity to do that this morning. And as we consider uh, one line uh, of an uh, old creed, may we use that truth to look back at to, to the truth. And your Word is truth. I pray that we would consider the Old and the New Testament Scriptures that uh, proclaim, foretell, um, describe uh, of your resurrection from the dead that gives us hope regarding our resurrection from the dead this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would encourage uh, hearts who uh, long for this day for themselves, but also for those who have gone before. Uh, I pray that you would encourage us to persevere in the work that you have before us in the Lord, uh, the days that you've given us here on this earth. And so, Lord, sharpen us as a church, equip us as a church to be able to share the good news and of great joy that will be for all people that you came, that you died, that you rose, that you ascended, and that you will return one day for the resurrection of the dead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are nearing the end of uh, our series through the Apostles' Creed. We are uh, in the second to last line where we have stated uh, as many Christians, centuries, even millennia in the past have as well, we've stated that uh, we have a, a belief in God the Father, we have a belief in Jesus Christ, His only Son, we have a belief in the Holy Spirit, and again, those are beliefs in, uh, not just that we believe that, uh, that they are there, that God is alive, that Jesus Christ was uh, the God-man, but, but we have put our faith in them. And that's no different for uh, this line this morning. We have put our belief in God the Father, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit for the resurrection of the dead. And we're living to that end. We're longing for that day. And this is good that we consider that this, uh, this season of Advent. Uh, and, and this line of the creed um, is one of the lines of the creed that has yet to happen. Uh, as we talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or specifically God the Son, Jesus Christ, we uh, talked about our belief in certain things that He had done already and who He was. 
that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered, bled, and died, was buried, he rose from the dead, and he ascended. Uh, But we talked about the transition there, that we also believe that he will return one day, but that has yet to happen. And so there were many things that have happened that Christ has done that we believe in, but there's also some that he is yet to do, but he's promised that he would, and so we can trust him in that. Well, this line of the creed is something very similar. There are things regarding the church in the creed that are already available to us. The fact that we are one with one another, that there is one universal church, that there is a communion of saints, not only in this local church, but among Christians around the world uh, that we already get to experience, that there is right here, right now, forgiveness of sins, and that we get to enjoy uh, that forgiveness of sins uh, right here, right now. But, But as we say this next line of the creed, as we believe in the resurrection of the body, this is Uh, making that transition to something that uh, is is not yet available to us. It has not yet happened to any who have gone before us except Jesus Christ. And it's something that we long for and look for into the future. So if we at Christmas, at Advent, are waiting like the Old Testament saints who waited for the first coming of Jesus Christ, We too are waiting for the second coming of Christ, and it's at the second coming of Christ when all Christians will get to enjoy this reality, uh, this future hope that we have, the resurrection of the body. And so this Christmas, this week, as we get even closer to Christmas, the day that we celebrate Christ's birth, let's remember that. Let's long and let's wait Uh, with a fresh sense of what that longing for His second return means for us, specifically the resurrection of the body. And we need a resurrection of the body. As uh, Nate from uh, the Pillar Network spoke uh, last week on the need of the forgiveness of sins, we all have a need for the forgiveness of sins uh, because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and sin entered into the world and was passed down to their children and on and on and on all the way to us to where the biblical writers inspired by the Holy Spirit could say that there is none that is righteous. No, not one. And it was God who promised Adam and Eve in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat it on that day, you will surely, what? Die. It was God's grace that they didn't physically die in that moment. Um, But they spiritually died in that moment as well. Uh, Their souls were were dead and, and they were then separated from God even physically in the garden to later, though, experience the physical reality of that that promise, uh, physical death, though it was 
hundreds of years later after they had children. And everyone since then has experienced that, uh, that curse, that, that curse of sin and death. And so that makes sin and death from the very beginning the greatest human problems. And yet, Christianity is really the only religion um, that says that both of those needs, sin sin and death, have been conquered. Uh, All of the other religions of the world are aiming to conquer sin and death in this life. And what Christianity, how it differs from all of those other religions, it says that it's already been conquered by the only one who can conquer sin and death, Jesus Christ. Which makes <coughs> this line in the Apostles' Creed that's been recited and uh, memorized and probably sung um, by Christians for centuries and millennia uh, different. It says, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We have confidence in the resurrection of the dead because Jesus died and rose from the dead and promised our resurrection from the dead. <coughs> Not, not like the other religions of the world who are hoping, like wishing for, and working towards, like maybe, maybe if I get all of these things right, then I'll, there will be a resurrection of the dead. No, we say we believe in the resurrection of those who have repented and believe. And so we have much, uh, much hope. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 shows us that it is our hope in Jesus Christ alone who uh, has conquered both sin and death. Hebrews 2, 14 and following says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He, that is Jesus Himself, likewise partook of the same things. That is, flesh and blood. That's what we remember this Christmas. That God became man. Emmanuel, Jesus And that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that is, mankind, and not just those who have a physical lineage from Abraham, but those who by faith have believed in the God of Abraham, Uh, Abraham's God, God the Father, and His coming Son and and His Holy Spirit. Verse 17 goes on and says, therefore, He, that is Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so that short, succinct passage right there in Hebrews 2, 14-18, the writer of Hebrews is showing us why Jesus uh, had to be incarnated And to be man, so that he could overcome both sin and death for us and offer us forgiveness of sins, uh, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. 
This is why Jesus, famously in John chapter 11, uh, is able to say that I am the resurrection and the life. In a moment when one of his dear friends, Lazarus, had died, uh, and even before his death was sick, and his sisters called for him to come to, to help him and to, to heal him of his sickness, uh, Jesus waited waited for some days before traveling to where Lazarus was. And by that time, he had not only died, but his body had begun to decay and smelled, the Bible says. And he waited long enough to show his extreme power over death by coming to the grave of Lazarus and, and telling Lazarus to come out. And, and just before he did, in speaking to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died, would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Then in John eleven twenty three, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Death has been destroyed. Sin has been destroyed. Uh, and this is the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we too will enjoy the resurrection of the body and life ever, everlasting. And these past truths that we uh, have been able to believe in and recite in the creed, now transitioning to this future truth, uh, even though it's something that has yet to happen, it gives us present hope. And that's what I want you to be encouraged by this morning. Don't just take this truth and this reality of a future resurrection of the body and think, okay, I'm going to store that away and just know that when I die, that's going to happen. But not only that, but it gives us present hope in this life and, and even present intentionality in this life, that we are to live differently as Christians who believe in the resurrection of the body, in the way that we care for our bodies, in the way that we spend our bodies, uh, in the way that we um, don't idolize our bodies, in the way that we um, live using our bodies uh, for eternity's sake, knowing that one day we'll have new bodies that will be living for the worship and glory of God in the presence of God one day. And so, don't just put this truth in, in, in the recepts of your mind just to have another bit of knowledge and truth in your mind, but let this future hope change your present reality. For we do not want to be like the Sadducees. The Sadducees uh, were a group of uh, religious elites who thought they knew everything and did not 
believe in the resurrection. And, and at one point in Jesus' ministry, in fact at several points, but one specific point in Jesus' ministry, they came to him and tried to trick him by questioning him regarding the resurrection in asking this long drawn out question about whose husband this woman would be in eternal life for she had had seven husbands during her time in this made-up story of theirs. And in their lack of belief in the resurrection, uh, Jesus' condemnation of them is this. Uh, Jesus said to to them in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. If we don't believe in the resurrection, Jesus says we don't know the Scriptures, nor do we know the power of God. And so I want us to leave encouraged by the Scriptures in the truth of the resurrection of the body, but I also want us to leave remembering the power of God that is displayed in the resurrection of Jesus and will be displayed in us one day. And so let's consider just really two main parts of this line, the resurrection and then of the body. And when I say the resurrection, what I am not saying is the resuscitation of the body. Um, There are numerous resuscitations of individuals in the Bible, moments when people had died and they came back to life. We could consider stories of Elijah, the prophet, when he raised the widow Zarephath's son, of Zarephath's son from the dead in 1 Kings 17. He also raised the Shunammite woman's son from the dead in 2 Kings chapter 4. And if that weren't enough, consider the fact that after Elijah had died and was buried, another man had died and was being buried nearby. And when the Moabites were coming to attack, these men who were digging a grave for this other man got afraid of the Moabites coming in and just threw the man into Elijah's tomb. And when he hit the bones of Elijah, he resuscitated and came back to life. I mean, there are some stories in the Bible that just kind of blow you away. But that's the power of God that uh, He is able to bring back from the dead those who touch the bones of one man who spoke on behalf of God. Uh, Amazing things. These things happened in in the Bible, not only at the hands of Elijah, Uh, or at the words of Elijah because he was speaking on behalf of God, but Jesus. Jesus raised the widow's son. He raised Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, most famously Lazarus in John chapter 11. There were many others who were in fact raised to life when Jesus himself was resurrected. That the tombs were Uh, shaken open at the crucifixion and that bodies came out of those tombs 
when Jesus was resurrected as well. Acts, in the book of Acts, others were resuscitated to life, raised to life. Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. And Paul, uh, that was in Acts chapter 9, and Paul raised Eutychus from the dead when he had fallen asleep and fell out of the window during Paul's long sermon. I don't need any comments, any laughs. This is why we don't do church on the second floor, nor do we have windows that open at the Fields Church. Uh, yeah, amazing things like that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And all of these individuals raised to life, resuscitated back to live, to walk on the earth and to appear to many people. And yet all of those have something in common different from Jesus. Every single one of those died again. Only Jesus' resurrection was permanent. And that's why it's altogether different from everything else uh, that happens in the Bible. All of those display the power of God, but all of those individuals died again. Jesus alone was raised from the dead permanently. And it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead that gives us hope, as we'll see from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to 15. We're going to spend some extended time just reading this longer chapter in God's Word because of anywhere in the Bible, it probably gives us the most clear and concise teaching on the resurrection of the dead and different aspects of it as well. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in, in verses 1 through 11, Paul reminds the brothers at the church of Corinth of the gospel that he had preached to them, that is, of Jesus who died, was buried, and rose from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. And not, not only that, but appeared to many. Let me, let me read for us 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11 to get the foundation, the priority of the gospel that Paul preached that they had come to believe in uh, as the, the, the reason why he continues this uh, exposition in 12 and, and following. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And that the word stand is not just you stand now, but you will stand forever. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That is, uh, in accordance with the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to the earth, lived on a sinless life on the earth, and died in accordance with the Scriptures. This was something that Jews did not want, did not believe. They, they believed that their Messiah would come to reign 
But Paul says that the Scriptures actually do testify that the Messiah would come to die, would come to sacrifice himself. Not only that, but verse 4 says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that his burial and his resurrection were testified to, promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. And Paul delivered that to them as of first importance. Not only that, but in verse 5 he says, and that he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Paul says, at the time of his writing, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Believed in Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection that was proved by His appearance to all of those people. 500 even at one time. So this is the the foundation for Paul's argument in the rest of 1 Corinthians, explaining that we too will experience resurrection if we have received this, excuse me, if we have believed this, both received and believed being repeated in verses 1 through 11. But unfortunately, there were some who didn't receive, who didn't believe. Or maybe they believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but that we won't experience that uh, themselves, they thought. And so Paul argues in, in verse 12 through 19, he goes and says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? He's bringing up their argument. How can you say that? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul is trying to say to them, if you're saying that there's no resurrection from the dead, no hope for you to be raised from the dead one day, then you're also saying that Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And they didn't want to say that. And so Paul's using their logic against them in this argument. Verse 14, he goes on and says, And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If someone says there's no resurrection from the dead, then they have all, they're also saying that Jesus Christ hasn't resurrected from the dead. And if Jesus Christ hasn't resurrected from the dead, then you're still in your sins and death has not been conquered. The original problem that we got all the way back in the beginning is still a problem. There's no solution, there's no help for it. In verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He did raise Jesus, uh, raise, 
that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. (laughs) So then He's saying, not only are you still in your sins, but I'm misrepresenting God to everyone I'm proclaiming the gospel to. And he's trying to show them the, the error of their logic. For if the dead, in verse 16, are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your, what's the word? Sins. You're still in your sins. You're still going to experience, experience spiritual and eternal death forever. Then those, in verse 18, also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, forever. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And that's what those people, some of those people were saying. They were saying that there's no resurrection from the dead. We, we're simply believing these things for hope in this life, for a better life here on this earth. And Paul says, if your faith, whatever faith that it is, is only so that you can have a better life here for these hundred years, then it's a waste of your time. It's futile. It's in vain. And we of all people are to be pitied. Which is why I think this same kind of logic can go to those people who preach that prosperity gospel and say that you can live your best life now. If that's true, then we are of all people to be pitied. And yet Paul is saying, no, we're not living for this life right here and right now. We're living for the next life because they're is a resurrection of the body because Jesus really did die and the life everlasting that we're promised and waiting for in heaven is going to be immeasurably better than this life is right here, right now. And so Paul, in explaining this resurrection of the body, he uses the error of their logic against them uh, and says instead that if Christ really did rise from the dead, which He proved by appearing to many, then there is also hope for the resurrection of the dead of those who believe and that the forgiveness of sins is a reality and that there is a better life waiting for those who believe than this life could ever offer. But he goes on in verse 20 through 23, says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning He was the first, which means there's going to be a second. That is, uh, all of those who believe in Him when Christ returns. For as by a man came death. Who's that? That's Adam. By Adam came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And that is when Paul writes that as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, that all is in reference to all who are 
in Christ. For the Bible, as we'll see later on, makes clear that there is a resurrection to life, but also a resurrection to judgment. And only those who are in Christ will experience this resurrection of the body for life everlasting. Those who have not repented of their sins, those who have not put their faith in Christ, will not experience the resurrection of the body for life everlasting, but will experience a resurrection to judgment for death everlasting, separation from God in hell. And so we see the, the, the truth of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, uh, not only this future hope of it, but that it actually does change our present reality, that we are living not for this life, but for the life to come, which changes how we ought to live. But I want us to consider the second part of the line of the, that, the creed, the resurrection specifically of the body. And here we'll continue in 1 Corinthians to consider, well, what, what kind of body? What, what is that going to look like? And here you're probably hoping that I'm going to give you lots of real detailed answers of what your resurrected body, what your age is going to be, and how good looking you're going to be, and you know what you're able to do, and what job you're going to do, and this, that, or the other, and of which I have no... I'm going to squash your hopes. I have none of that for you, but I have for you what Paul has for us, what God has for us in His Word. If you look down in verse 35, he knew the question that you would have, because they had it then too. Some will ask, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? Of which he called them, I'm not calling you this, and this is just what Paul called the Corinthians for asking that kind of question, you foolish person. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so Paul's likening our earthly bodies to, our, uh, to what will happen in the resurrection of the heavenly body. Now, he's likening it to a seed. And if you've ever taken an actual seed and planted it, you've looked at that seed, it looks different, but similar to lots of other kinds of seed. But if you were to plant multiple different seeds, though they look similar but different in, in seed form, you plant them and out from the ground come very different plants, very different fruits from those. And, and he says the same is true of our earthly bodies compared to our heavenly bodies. These bodies are just a, a seed, 
uh, of what is to come. But before that which is to come comes, it has to be planted. It has to die in the earth. And that's, that's what happens to a seed. When it's planted, it dies and, and yet has everything in it to bring forth a sprout and to bear forth a, a, a plant and then to bear fruit later on. And so our earthly bodies too have to die. They have to die so that they can be resurrected from the dead and bear forth uh, a new heavenly body that is going to differ from the seed uh, that, is, that is there. He goes on in verse 42. He says, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, that is the earthly body, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It means it won't die. Verse 43, It is sown, that is the earthly body, in dishonor because of sin and, and the, the groaning and the weight that we experience uh, from sin from Genesis 3. But it is raised, he says, in glory without sin, without that groaning any longer. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Quoting from Genesis 2.7. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is Jesus. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Again, getting back to the, 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 the point that it's only those who are in Christ who will experience the resurrection of the body, will experience this new spiritual heavenly body. This is the hope that we have for those of us who are in Christ. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, that is those who have believed, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so we have this reality that there will be a, a new body. We don't know exactly what that will all look like. We don't know the age. We don't know the look. We don't know many of the details about it. But we know that. That at least is clear, which is why when Paul says, going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that at least that aspect of the mystery has been revealed. Verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This was the confusing idea that Nicodemus didn't quite understand in John chapter 3 when Jesus said to him that he needed to be born again to be able to inherit heaven and eternal life. Of, of which Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? Am I to enter back into my mother's womb? I, I, I don't understand these things. And this is what Jesus was talking about. 
You need to be born again. You must repent and believe. Your soul coming to life from death because of sin, but coming to life in Jesus Christ. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, Paul says in verse 51, I tell you a mystery. And a mystery to Paul is something that was unknown for a time and yet has been revealed in Jesus Christ. This is how Paul uses that word. That for a time before Christ, the resurrection of the body, the, the clarity around that truth was literally a mystery. It was unknown. But in Christ, who is the first fruits of the resurrection of dead, now that mystery has been revealed. We don't have to wonder anymore about uh, what that will be. There may be some of the details that we don't know and won't know until we experience it when we're in heaven. But the fact of the resurrection of the body is no longer a mystery. We know because of Jesus Christ. He has revealed this mystery. We shall not... Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Meaning, some will be alive when Jesus returns to uh, bring about the resurrection of the body for all of those who die. And if those who are here uh, are, are still alive, they too will have to experience that resurrection of uh, their body as well. In verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And here Paul quotes from maybe something that you read even this week in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8 in our Bible reading plan. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I want to read to you from Isaiah 25. For Isaiah 25 is the song of the redeemed that was mentioned in Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24, verse 14 says they will sing uh, of a song. And then Isaiah 25 seems to be that song that they'll be singing. And in Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. Sin and death. The veil that is spread over all nations. In verse 8, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. 
It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. Listen, we have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. The people had. They had waited. They had waited. They had waited for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And He came. He came as the God-man, the infant born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then He died and He rose from the dead. They waited for that. And it was in that day when Jesus died and He rose from the dead that He conquered sin and death forever. That He came to save. That reality, of that hope of Isaiah 25 in verse 8 specifically, became a reality when Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why Paul can sing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. That's why we sang earlier, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death, Paul would go on to say, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this hope of this new resurrected body uh, to come. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our souls are made alive. They are eternal uh, beings to experience eternity with God uh, in heaven, in paradise. But only when Christ returns will they be uh, reunited uh, with, with their bodies, a resurrected body. Only then will they finally uh, stop groaning. Uh, we all know the, what Romans 8 talks about, the inward groaning of our physical bodies that began in Genesis chapter 3. And that because of the sin of Genesis chapter 3 and the curses that came following, uh, the groaning that has been experienced by people, uh, whether uh, that's from a twisted ankle or a sprained neck uh, from those who have experienced mental illness to cancer, those who have experienced the groaning of of pain for a long time, those who have experienced the groaning all the way till death early in life, Uh, those of us who have watched people go through more groaning than we may have gone through. We've seen this. We've experienced this. But the hope of the resurrection of the body is uh, that we have in Jesus Christ, contrary to that inward groaning, is that that we would have the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection of our bodies. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are going to experience a resurrection. We're going to experience a new body that will not groan inwardly like these bodies groan inwardly. We will experience a body that will not face death like these bodies are going to face death. This gives us hope. I want you to imagine if you or kids, you knew what your Christmas gift was going to be this Christmas. And knowing what that Christmas gift was, if it was a good gift, and good fathers give good gifts according to the Bible, if you knew what that gift was, you would long for it and wait for it, probably even more so wanting to wear it or wanting to play with it or wanting to watch it or whatever it may be. You would want that ever more so. And in the same way, this future hope, this promise of this resurrected body ought to cause us to wait well, to long for, to be eager for that return of Christ when we would get to experience that. I don't know what our bodies will be like. Uh, I think looking at Jesus, we can see a bit of what uh, our, our bodies will maybe look like. Um, Luke 24 tells us that some of Jesus' closest disciples and in the Gospel of John, even Mary did not recognize him until he spoke to them. And when he spoke to them, they recognized him, and it says that their hearts burned in that moment. And so in one sense, our glorified, resurrected bodies will be different, somewhat unrecognizable because the bodies we now have are affected by sin, uh, that inward groaning, uh, and yet at the same time, they'll still be recognizable. For Jesus, when he did appear to his disciples, still had the scars of the cross on him and was able to reach out his hands to doubting Thomas to be able to show him the nail-pierced scars where he died for him there, e even the, the scar on his side. And so, even if we look to Jesus and the unrecognizable aspect and yet the recognizable aspect, the, the same but also different aspect of that, that's really all we have to, to know regarding what the reality of our resurrected bodies will look like. But that ought to nevertheless still give us hope that we will experience the same resurrection that Jesus experienced, the same resurrection that He is still experiencing. For Jesus still has that body in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And we too will be given a resurrected body to experience uh, being in the presence of God fully in heaven with Jesus forever. But I want to just finish with this in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. After laying out the gospel, after laying out the hope of the resurrection, after laying out what these bodies would uh, look like or be like, in verse 58, he has a big therefore. 
A big therefore. Therefore, in light of all of that, chapter 15, my beloved brothers, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so, Christian, we who have repented of our sins and believed in Christ, who have this hope of the resurrected body to come one day, Paul says uh, the present reality of that future hope is you living this life on purpose. Therefore, to be encouraged uh, to abound in the work of the Lord, to be steadfast, immovable. Why? Because we know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That means that also, while we live this life here, we're not to be living this life for things that don't last. We're not to be living for things that will perish. Money, homes, cars. We're not to be living for um, clothes and toys and gadgets and things like that. We're not even to be spending our lives uh, to be able to have the body that we want here on this earth. Because we're living for the next life. We're living for the resurrection in the end. And, and we are to be spending our lives on things that do last forever. We're to be spending our time in things that last forever. That is the Word of God in the church of God with the Spirit of God. We're to be spending our lives serving in our life, sacrificing in our life for the things of eternity, the souls of men, so that others might know this hope that we have in the resurrection of the body. We're to be steadfast in those things, immovable in those things, abounding in the work of the Lord in those areas. This is why Paul says in other, word, in other places that physical training is of some value, but spiritual training Godliness is a value over all things. And so, Christian, I want to urge you, as easy as it is, especially in this season, to want or long for or covet or be jealous or tempted to have something else or want something else for this life, let us remember that the resurrection, the future hope of the resurrection of the body in the next life ought to change our priorities right here and right now. Change how we live right here and right now. How we live this life right here and right now. But if you're not a Christian, you're here and like all of the other religions of the world, still working for and hoping that one day you would get to be with God forever in heaven. Let me tell you, you don't have to work. You can't work to be able to earn that place in heaven. You can't hope enough to be able to get yourself there. That's why God became man. That's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth and took on a body for you and lived the sinless life that none of us could live and was willing to die and sacrifice Himself on the cross and yet conquer sin and death by raise, being raised from the dead with a resurrected body that would never die again and ascend to back to God 
to sit at the right hand of God the Father from where He will come one day to judge the living and the dead. Jesus will return. There will be a resurrection for those who believe to life, to those who believe to the resurrection of their body, but to those who deny God, to those who deny the resurrection, to those who are working to earn their place in heaven, to those who are hoping that they would get to be with God forever, simply hoping, not repenting and believing, but simply hoping. There's not a resurrection to life. There's a resurrection to judgment. That's the reality that stands before all mankind. Two eternal destinies, one that includes the resurrection of the body, one that includes the resurrection to judgment. And it would be my encouragement, our encouragement as a church to you this day, whether adult or child, to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ, to experience spiritual life now and the hope of a physical resurrected life with God forever in heaven in the future, and to spend your life for that eternal life in the end. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? I confess I have felt the inward groaning of this body this week. We all experience it in one way or another from time to time. And Lord, let that be a reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That one day we will not ache. One day we will not experience pain. One day we will not experience sickness or illness. We'll experience a resurrected body with you forever. Lord, we have that hope because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And it gives us a present focus. One that we don't spend our lives for this body. One that we don't spend our lives simply for this earthly life, but we spend our lives for eternity's sake, for heaven's sake, for Christ's sake. And Lord, I pray that this future hope of the resurrection of the body would give us a present uh, reality check in how we live this Christmas season as we wait and long and pray for your return. And God, I pray that if there is someone here who lacks that confidence, lacks that hope and is working themselves or hoping themselves that they might get to be with you forever in heaven, I pray that they would gain that confidence through repentance of faith and forgiveness of sins. Uh, repentance of sins and faith that would offer them forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, do a work of resurrection now, spiritual resurrection now, as we know that you will do physical resurrection work later. We thank you and we praise you for this hope, for this reality, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian, let's stand, let's sing, let's praise him who has offered us this.